Well, hi. Hello, everyone. Greetings and salutations. Um, so, I have been working uh, the past few days on a case that came to my attention. Um, actually, just randomly. Um, everybody knows, you know, I'm kind of weird. I go through, like, the crime library, the missing persons report. And um, I actually came across a case... Um, and the lady's name is Dorothy Scott. So, um, since early, uh, 1980, uh, Dorothy Scott, uh, was a single mother with a four-year-old son named Sean. Um, she was living in Stanton, uh, California, um, and she began receiving, uh, threatening phone calls. So, one of the phone calls was basically, when I get you alone, I will cut you up into pieces so no one will ever find you. Um, and that wasn't the first kind of call that Dorothy had received from this unidentified caller. Now, it was never really explained if this person, um, if she knew this person. Um, but as I kind of delved uh, deeper into this case, um, I feel that she may have known um, the person that ultimately, um, kidnapped her and killed her. So basically, uh, she was, uh, Dorothy Scott was, you know, single mother living in Staten, California, raising her son. Um, so at the time of her disappearance, she was actually living, uh, with her aunt excuse me, sorry, I burped, <laughs> and, uh, was working as a secretary for, um, two, uh, stores in Anaheim. Uh, one sold, uh, psychedelic, uh, kind of, uh, items, you know, lava lamps, beads, stuff like that. And according to her family and coworkers, she was actually devoutly religious and actually kind of preferred staying at home, uh, never really, uh, did drugs, never drank, um, so her parents, who also lived in Anaheim, would also, uh, often babysit their, their grandson, uh, while Dorothy was at work. So she was described by her, uh, aunt, uh, Vera and, you know, her, I guess, uh, uncle, uh, Jacob Scott is very kind, very giving, very friendly, very religious. Uh, so unfortunately on May 28th, 1980, uh, Dorothy had attended an employee work meeting and, um, had noticed that one of her coworkers, uh, by the name of Conrad Bronston did not look well and just kind of appeared to have a red mark on his arm. So being the kind person that, that Dorothy was, um, she was concerned over this. So Dorothy and another coworker of hers, Pam had left the meeting to drive Conrad to the emergency room at UC uh, Irvine Medical Center. So, on the way to the hospital, Dorothy ends up stopping back at her parents' home uh, to check on her son and also, you know, kind of change clothes, get refreshed, stuff like that. So, at the hospital, the medics um, actually uh, discover that her co-worker, Conrad's red mark, was a result of a black widow spider bite. Um... So, I know a lot about this because as a kid, I was bitten by a black widow. I was told, very funny story, I was told, we had these bushes in front of my house. My mother always said, do not play in those bushes. You know, there are spiders in there, you're going to get bit, blah, blah, blah. 
Unfortunately, I got bit <laughs> by a spider. And yeah, I, I kind of got the the old uh, Mexican mom treatment of, uh, well, <laughs> didn't I tell you not to play in those bushes? Um, but yeah, so I'm very familiar with a, a black widow spider bite. Um, but it's easily treated. So, you know, her coworker was treated at the ER. And during this time, uh, Dorothy and Pam had remained in the ER waiting room, you know, until her, the other co-worker, Conrad, was released and discharged at, uh, around 11 p.m. So he was given a prescription for the medicine and, uh, Pam, or Dorothy, I'm sorry, offered to bring her car around, um, because he still wasn't, you know, feeling very well, kind of gro- groggy, kind of, you know, whatever. And she didn't want her co-worker basically, you know, walking a far distance, Um, so she went to go use the restroom before walking out to go get the car and Pam and Conrad filled out his, filled out the prescription and waited at the exit. So a few minutes goes by, uh, she doesn't return and they're wondering what's going on. So they go out to the parking lot and they suddenly see Dorothy's car and it's speeding towards them. So they're frantic. They're waving their arms, trying to get her attention, trying to get her to stop, but the car had the high beams, uh, the headlights were on full beam. So a car sped past them and took a sharp right turn out of the parking lot. Um, unfortunately, the co-workers did not see who was actually behind the wheel. So was it Dorothy driving or was it her abductor driving? That has never been solved, but we'll get into that later. Um, they kind of just thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, Dorothy had some, some emergency with their son, um, you know, with her, with her family, with her aunt, with her parents, something that happened that caused her to do something so out of the ordinary. I mean, when you bring someone to the ER and, you know, you go offer to get the car for them and you're doing all these things and then you speed right past them when they're waving their arms, trying to tell you to stop, um, very unlike her character. So, that kind of raised a red flag. Uh, at least when I started getting into the story, I'm like, why, why would someone do that? So either I don't think it was her either driving or maybe if it was, there was some maybe kind of a ruse to get her to to leave her, her co-workers and stuff at that hospital. Now, um, several hours after not hearing from Dorothy, um, they eventually decide, you know, we got a reporter missing. So the next day the police called out to the area where, um, Dorothy had went missing. Um, and then they received reports of a car that was on fire. Now at 4.30 AM, the officers found her 1973 Toyota station wagon abandoned and on fire, but Dorothy nowhere to be found. So why is her car set on fire? Something obviously not right here. So, you know, detectives end up questioning her parents and then discover that Dorothy had been receiving those anonymous phone calls at work and at the house. So there was obviously someone that was watching her. She had told her mother that she did recognize the boy, the voice of the person on those phone calls, but she couldn't not remember the person's name. So basically this caller would go back and forth between basically saying how much in love with her he is, how she's perfect, and then threatening to kill her. 
And then he would also provide her details of what she did that day. So basically, you know, details of the day-to-day routine. Um, So that kind of proved that she did have a stalker and someone was watching her. Now, so one day, uh, the mother does remember that uh, one day that this, this person called and said to go outside. Told Dorothy to go outside because he had something for her. Now, I don't know why she went out there, but there was a single dead rose on the windshield of her car. Creepy enough. Now, I find that I'm going to be like, first of all, why is someone leaving me roses? That's just weird. Um, but the the mother, Vera, had said that one such call in particular, particular though, basically terrified her daughter so much um, because the man had threatened, okay, now you're going to come my way, and when I get you alone, I will cut you up in pieces, and no one will ever find you. That terrified, which, I mean, that would terrify anyone if I, if you received a call like that, um, but that basically concerned Dorothy so much that she, uh, decided to go through the process of buying a gun, taking karate classes, uh, about a week before she disappeared, um, so, People had maybe suggested that it could have been because there was a problem in the relationship with the father of her child. Um, but uh, they said that there was no really problems. And though there, you know, the, the mother had said that her daughter had, you know, dated on occasion, but uh, on occasion, but did not have a steady boyfriend. So a week after Dorothy's disappearance, the parents receive a phone call from, they don't know if it's the same unknown ma'am, but let's just kind of all assume that it probably is. Um, so the phone caller says, are, we, are you related to Dorothy Scott? Well, I got her. And says that and hangs up. So from 1980 to 1984, these calls continue without interruption. The same man calling almost every Wednesday afternoon and either said he had Dorothy or had killed her, was kind of going back and forth, basically kind of taunting the family. Uh, the calls were also just very brief. And it was also, it was never uh, when the father was at home. It was always when the mother was at home alone. So keep that in mind. That's 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 a little weird too. And so that obviously makes me think that this person that may have taken Dorothy was still watching the house and still watching the family. So in April of 1984, the man called uh, during an evening, actually, when the father was present. When he answered the phone, that was the first time that the caller had hung up and not said anything. So that kind of says a lot. So was this person just trying to scare the mother, or what was his intention? And I can't help, but I'm trying to talk right now. And I look over at my little cat and she is giving me the most judgy look I've ever seen in my life. It's hilarious. Um, so anyway, um, so Orange County uh, Register published a story on the case in June of 1980. And an unidentified man called the front desk and spoke to the editor, Pat Riley, claiming that he was responsible for the kidnapping and the murder. Basically said, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. I killed her. 
Um, the editor did tell the police that the man knew details of the case that had not be- been released, um, such as the spider bite suffered by the co-worker on that evening of May 28th when she went missing, and that Dorothy had been wearing a red scarf because she did change. Uh, remember, when she went to her parents' house, she did change into a red scarf. Now, the caller also claimed that Dorothy had called him that evening from the hospital, but the other co-worker, Pam, denied any of that, saying the entire time that she was with and that they were at the hospital, uh, she never um, received any phone calls. She never made any phone calls. So they do believe that whoever this unidentified caller was to not only the parents, but the newspaper was ultimately responsible for the disappearance of Dorothy. So the reason I kind of gravitated toward the story was because on my birthday in 1984, August 6th, um, the discovery of human remains was found by a construction worker uh, roughly about 30 feet from the Santa Ana Canyon Road. Now, the remains were partially charged and it was estimated that they had been there for about maybe two or three years because a bush a bush why can't I speak? A bushfire had swept across that site in 1990 or 1982. I'm sorry. So forensics eventually found a watch um, as well as a turquoise wing ring, which were both ultimately identified by Dorothy's mother, Vera. Now, Scott's mother, uh, Dor- uh, Vera, said that the watch had stopped at precisely 12.30 a.m., little more than an hour um, after Pam and Conrad, remember the co-workers, had last saw the vehicle. So basically, she was ultimately, as we can just assume, killed during that time. Maybe not even an hour after you know, she was seen fleeing the hospital parking lot. So several days after that discovery, on August 4th, the bones were ultimately identified as Dorothy Scott. Now, because uh, there were only skeletal remains, the pathologist was unable to determine the cause of death. But again, shortly after the remains were found, Dorothy's parents began receiving more anonymous phone calls from the same man after three months of nothing. So finally, the police eventually installed a voice recorder at the home. But because the caller, and remember, this is back in the 80s, um, you had to stay on the line for a certain amount of time. So because the, the calls were very brief, they were it just pretty much made it impossible for the police to trace the number. So, basically, the families had said that for, you know, the years, this caller has tortured us, but they never refused to change the number, hoping that maybe the caller would eventually allow them, because this was before she was discovered, maybe if he did have her and did, you know, had kidnapped her, that they were hoping maybe he would let him talk to her. Um, So, she said, the, the Vera said, the man about, um, who killed her daughter, basically, took a life that loved life. I felt in my heart that he deserved some sort of punishment. And they believe the same man that had been calling him was the same man that harassed the, uh, Dorothy for months prior to her dear disappearance. But to this day, this case has never been solved and it still remains 
unsolved. So who was it? If it wasn't, she had no boyfriends, uh, really. Uh, the father of the child was ultimately, you know, ruled out as a suspect. Um, so was it possibly someone at one of her two jobs that had become obsessed with her? And why, why torture the family? Why keep calling and giving them possibly false hope when if he did kill her in that first hour that he kidnapped her, why continue to call the family and, and harass them and basically give them that false hope of possibly, you know, their daughter could come home. Um, this case always, I mean, like when I started reading it, I kind of just got more in depth with it and was just truly amazed that still that someone could do this to a family even years after. I mean, who does that? What kind of a person does that? It's, it's ultimately super disgusting to me, but still is a case that still, I think probably can be solved, um, at this point, um. Because of all the, you know, uh, scientific, you know, advances that we've had in DNA, um, I believe that this case can be solved. So hopefully someone hears it and we can uh, try to get justice for this family because I'm that that's just I can't even imagine um, that. And that. T- uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. That's why I don't give my phone numbers out. <laughs> I don't want anyone stalking me or calling me and leaving me freaky deaky messages. Um, but anyways, um, all right. I hope you guys all have a good week and a good weekend and uh, continue to kick ass. All right. Till next time.